Welcome to Braves on the Warpath, Season 3, Week 13. My name is Kyle. I'm here with Jeremy. What's up, America? How we doing? Uh, America, hopefully, is doing well. I hope everyone's full from Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving, man? It was nice, dude. It was uh, nice and relaxing. Uh, first Thanksgiving with uh, significant others. Oh, how'd that go? Went well. It was no big deal. No big fights or anything? No. Nah. no they didn't, you can get like, pulled aside afterwards? Like, nah, I mean, the brother get, can always get a little prickly. He's unpredictable. You're the problem. I've, I've been around you and your brothers. You're the problem. I'm the problem? 100%. Yeah. What What do I do that it brings out? I've seen every conflict that you've been a part of, and 100% of the time I've been on your brother's side. Why? Why, why do you think that is? Because what? of your personality, your demeanor, anyone that's listened to the podcast. What are some of the, my personality traits and things in my demeanor that brings that out of other people? In their uh, look, man, you can't take criticism. That's being evidenced right now. You're abrasive. You're ugly. Uh, all these things just really work against you. I have a, a voice made for a podcast. I, I do. Are you actually, your radio voice is okay. I got good feedback from you. I had a, yeah. a coworker listen and he was like, oh, he has a, a voice for this. That I have a voice Speaking for Speaking of you, not I. Right. Well, I tell you, you do, but that's because I have to constantly stroke your ego. Well, I mean, that's because, I mean, I've always told this. you you have a face for radio. That's the oldest, lamest insults in the whole world. <laughs> There's more dad jokes where that came from. I, I promise the pod gets better from here. We're going to talk about the Redskins, although I will be insulting Jeremy throughout, so there will be a good mix of both. Um, and we'll be doing this more often. For the last few weeks of the season and the playoffs, because we're going to the playoffs, uh, we'll be doing this more often. We've still we've been okay, but we've fallen under my threshold, which is uh, getting about 100 listeners per week. We were, we've been muddling in the 90s the last few times we've done it. But that's because we're not recording every week because we're busy and making excuses. Yeah. So we got to record every week from here on out so we can get above the 100 listener threshold. That's that's my barometer for success. Striving for greatness. Such a high bar. Look, man, there's well, we're a small-time shop. There's a lot of great Redskins podcasts out there. Burgundy Blogcast. Cooley's got the, his podcast. It's obviously great. There's I'm forgetting a ton more. Hogshaven. Um so listen to those and in the absence. But when we're recording, I mean, give us a shot because hopefully we're I think we're okay. It's, it's more mildly entertaining. We aight. We aight. That's, that's the best way to put it. Uh, but we got big news. The Redskins claimed Reuben Foster today. Uh, I'm sure that's all we're going to talk about. Um, if nothing else, it maybe distracts from the Dallas loss, which we're going to talk about. And we're also going to break, uh, break down the Philly matchup uh, with question time in the middle. But first, let's talk about the big news uh, obviously Foster a really divisive figure for a number of reasons. Um, how do you feel about it? What's what's the gut reaction? Because they only announced it about an hour ago. We're recording on Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a non-factor for this year. Um, for this was, year, for sure. He was already placed on the commissioner's list um, where he can't partake in practice or games, I believe. But I think he can still be at the facility. He can be at the facility with the team's permission. Um, but yeah, you're right. So he cannot go to games, cannot go to official practices. But we, we did put in a claim for him. So, uh, you know, he's he's now part yeah. of the organization. We were the only team to put in a claim. So theoretically, we could have let him pass through waivers mm -hmm. and sign him to a minimum deal. Um, by claiming him, we essentially absorb his rookie contract. There's going to be a huge PR backlash for this, as there should be. He's, by all evidence, a terrible person. I mean, with, with the things that he's been uh, charged of and the stuff from his past. I mean, just let's recap some of them. So the even draft. before he had any real you know, run-ins with the law, he got a tattoo of Auburn on his bicep and then flipped his commitment to Alabama and played at Bama. He has an Auburn tattoo right now. He played at Alabama all four years. Uh, he, I think he had drug screenings. He's gotten weapons charges, drug charges. This is the second time now that he's being charged with, uh, domestic abuse. And I think battery, like the list just goes yeah. on and on and on. If you recall uh, at the combine, he was kicked out of the combine waiting in line. He wanted to go to the front of the line to, and he, he told the nurse, like, do you know who I am? Like acting like he was entitled, but it was the NFL combine drug test. So 
even in that pool of people, he wasn't special because no. everyone else around him was also no. going to the NFL. And was, then he failed that drug test. Yeah. He was supposed to be a top 10 talent coming into that draft. And he fell all the way down towards the end of the second round. The Niners traded up from the second round to pick him up. Well, that's the that's the flip side of the coin. I, I remember watching the draft at a bar, drinking, screaming his name when it was our pick. So to me, this guy coming out of college was Ray Lewis 2.0. He coming out of college when he was playing at Alabama, he had it all. He could run, he could tackle. He was huge. He's strong. He diagnosed plays. Not very smart off the field, but pretty smart on the field. I mean, the complete package at middle linebacker, a guy that could revolutionize your defense. He's he had a really good rookie year at San Francisco when he was on the field. This year he's been bad. He has some stinger issues. Some guys are saying he can't lift his arm sometimes. So on top of all these character issues, there's also injury concerns, but there's that little piece in my brain. And and putting aside whether you should have someone like that on your team, there is that little piece of me that's like, if this guy somehow manages to find the light, this could revolutionize your defense. Yeah, I mean, you think about the the Bama defense that we've built. Um, A lot of his teammates are on this Redskins team. And I'm sure management maybe not formally, but just off the cuff, took their input into not necessarily his character, but who he is. And is this someone who could potentially contribute? Well, Doug Williams in his statement said that they consulted his Alabama teammates about his character and that they vouched for him. And there's a lot of Alabama guys. I don't need to name them. They're the heart of the defense. And he, if he were to play middle linebacker, he'd literally be surrounded <laughs> on all sides by them. Um, you know, I wouldn't put it past the Redskins to say that they consulted with these guys and then do whatever they want. But I also, you know, the Alabama uh, mentality is very team-oriented. They they call each other a family and all that sort of thing. I also wouldn't put it past them to do that. And look, if this guy is going to succeed somewhere, it's probably here. Maybe the chances of him succeeding anywhere are very slim, but being surrounded by these guys, because clearly it's the off-the-field stuff that's that's holding him up the most. So if he's around these guys that have played with him for a long time and know him really well, if he's going to succeed, this is the place to Yeah, do. I think fit is interesting as well. I know in years past, we've struggled with the inside linebacker position, especially around health. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, we were down to our fourth or fifth string inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, Zach Brown just signed a, a brand new contract coming into this season. I think Mason Foster is having his best season as a Redskin. Who a lot of people have been harping on him lately. A lot of people feel he's he's very divisive because he's so slow. Uh, he is slow, and yeah. he does have games where he seems to forget how to which hole to plug. Um, that does happen. But he, if you, I mean, check the stats. This guy is a tackling machine. If he gets his hands on you, you're going down. And he's actually been he's been in a turnover machine as well. Yes, he has. Which is he's always kind of been okay at that, but he's he's turned it up a notch this year. But he is still slow. If you want him to catch a guy sideline to sideline, that's not what he's going to do. Yeah. That's not what he's built for. But yeah, I think he's having an okay year too. Uh, some people say inside linebacker is a huge need for us. I, I think we can upgrade both of those yeah. guys, but I'm not unhappy with Yeah, so one. I mean, I think Zach Brown hasn't necessarily flashed this year like he did last year. Um, I don't have the terms of his contract in front of me, but it'll be interesting to know his guaranteed money. Um, if they maybe potentially see Reuben Foster more so as a long-term replacement there. Um, playing a 3-4, obviously you need a lot of linebackers. Um, He is an elite athlete, so there might be um, a pass rushing consideration there as well. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Mason Foster is relatively slow, more so a run stopper than uh, a coverage guy. Um, Pairing Zach Brown with uh, Ruben Foster, you have uh, a more flexible defense where you don't necessarily need to sub out into those nickel and dime packages. You can have those athletic linebackers cover those spread tight ends or pass catching running backs sure and to answer your question zach brown was contract three years 24 million uh there's three million in dead cap for 2019 and a million and a half for 2020 i think that's irrelevant we're not going to cut zach brown right um you know it's 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 a, it's a fairly hefty contract for an inside linebacker eight million dollars a year but yeah um I, I don't think they're even considering that this early what i think they're considering is this guy has the potential to be a top tier talent we can pay a minimum price to see if he'll work out, and if he does, then 
That yeah, well, so it, it would have been minimum price if we wouldn't have claimed him and we would have signed him to a minimum contract. I, we, you're right. I think we he are. He does have the first round contract. So he, we are paying market value for an inside linebacker. I think he's on the last year of his contract, though. 2017 draft pick. So, so no, he wouldn't. So, yeah, it would be a four-year contract so and no, a fifth-year team close. option. Hmm. And okay. it's progressive in nature, too. So right. I wouldn't be surprised if he has like a five to seven million dollar cap that's interesting i assume that we'll make our conclusion then well before we have to pay him any of that money right um but for now i think we're just going to see what the situation is maybe he's not on the team in a week um and and one other thing that i mean a lot of people are going to give the organization flack for it and you really can't fault them for for hating this move just from purely not wanting to root for a guy like this i totally understand that um, to me, though, this almost seems like I, th- I feel like we're seeing the evolution of Dan Snyder as an owner in a really slow manner from the bottom. I don't say that in a complimentary way. At first, he was super micromanaging, wanted his hands in everything. I think he has learned to step back a little bit. He's letting Bruce and Doug do some more things. Some people think he's the puppet, but um, and we'll touch on this later. Actually, Mike Smith, the uh, who writes for USA Today and used to be a beat writer for the Redskins. Um, had an ask me anything on Reddit the other day, and he kind of talked about this, how Snyder has stepped back a little bit. And now we've kind of, he's evolved into the old Al Davis, Jerry Jones role uh, of trying to make these these signings that he thinks is going to help his football team, regardless of the PR. I, I think he's developing really slowly. He's still not a good owner by any means. I think this is just the next step in his his development, if you want to call it that. So do you think Snyder was behind this move to claim Foster? I think he definitely signed off on it. Right. You don't do something this high profile without his input. Yeah. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see who the driver was from the initial media reports. It sounds like Doug Williams. I don't know if we'll ever know, but you know, maybe one of those Alabama boys walked in the room with him and said, "There's no, I've never played with a kid like this before. You have to pick him up." You know, who knows? Um. Anyway, we'll move on from that. Definitely something to track. Uh, but certainly very interesting. One other piece of news, we will get into the Dallas recap, um, but Swearinger had some comments that have been getting a lot of attention on the internet lately. He uh, Earlier, you know, he called out some people for their level of focus. This was usually after a couple painful losses, and, you know, the same thing happened this week. Uh, this time he was harping on the walkthroughs, saying that, you know, they're, they, they're not intense enough. That I don't remember his exact words, but... Um, basically faulting the focus again and, and not feeling like it was professional enough, saying that guys were goofing off. And he clarified today that that had nothing to do with the coaches. He was talking specifically about players not taking it seriously. Um, what do you think about a guy mouthing off like this to the media, calling out his teammates? Um, is he is he holding them accountable? You know, is this a good thing? Or is he just uh, creating a rift in the locker room? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. Um, I think you keep that type of stuff in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to keep in mind... Um, the number of injuries we've had over the last two or three weeks. So probably Too the, many. The nature and structure of walkthroughs is probably a little bit more basic and fundamental. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure guys are aligned appropriately based off formation. But it's all serious, man. It's all important. Yeah, it's a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have those younger guys who doesn't necessarily have that experience, right? Um, they may not necessarily know how to behave in that professional manner. Um, so I have no fault of Swanger having issue with that. Um, I don't think the media is the appropriate channel for that. I think you have a closed door team meeting um, where that's addressed privately. I think that's fair. And I, I think there is a culture change going on. Um, you know, it's going through a little bit of a rocky patch, but on the whole, I think it's a good thing. Um, in my head, I kind of think, you know, what, how would a Belichick team be run? And there's two sides, but one is that walkthroughs would be meticulous and every bit as important as every other facet of preparation and taking it, you know, not as seriously as possible would, would be punished. But on the other side, like you said, Belichick, any sort of team problems there would also be dealt behind closed doors. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, at Swearinger, he's kind of a loud mouth, um, but you know, he's been one of the best players on the defense this year. And when he, when he steps up and, and calls people out like that, uh, you have to listen to it. So we'll, we'll see if it makes any difference. Um, the good news is uh, we played horribly against Dallas. A lot of guys played really badly. Good news. And we still almost won. We still should have won that game. That's, uh, I understand there's a lot of the sky is falling mentality. We, you know, we're on a losing streak. 
Some people feel the division lead slipping away. And all that's true. A ton of injuries. We've been beat up. We have no playmakers on offense. Our starting quarterback's injured. Um, guys on the line are injured. We, we have patchwork people everywhere. It seems like everything is falling apart. And we still almost won last week against our heated rival and away. And we're still in first place in the division in a bad division. We're, if, if you didn't know anything that happened, if you didn't know what the run-up was, and in... You know, the day before week one, I told you, hey, week 13, we're going to be tied with Dallas for the division lead at six and five. I'd have taken that. 100% I'd have taken that. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to the parody in the NFL. Outside of the five elite teams, I think we can all agree on the five cream of the crop teams, Super Bowl contenders this year. Rams, Saints, Saints Chiefs, Pats, yeah, and then Chargers. Oh, you love the Chargers. Every year I've felt <laughs> four and a half. The four and a half teams. They, they're a dark horse. I'll give you that. Anyway. Yeah, but beyond that, I think anyone can win on any given Sunday. Sure. I mean, the Panthers. They made were, a movie about that. They didn't make a movie about that. The Panthers were right up there in the beginning of the season. Now they're on a three-game losing streak, much like we are. Mm-hmm. Um, before the pod, we were talking off off mic about the the Texans. Yeah. Texans are eight and three now. The worst eight and three team I've ever seen. I refuse to call them a good team, but. <laughs> Uh, but they're eight and three. Then you have a, an Aaron Rodgers-led Packers team that's four, six, and one. Like, what is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, outside of those five elite teams and the handful of really mediocre teams, um, the middle of the pack of the NFL is is wide open. So, so those wild card spots and those divisions that don't necessarily have those elite teams like the NFC East, anybody can win. Absolutely. Why not us? Absolutely. And our run-ins are pretty similar. Um, you know, we have Philly twice, the Giants, who we should beat, but they've been playing a little better lately. Jacksonville and Tennessee. You know, I think all those games are going to be tough. There's none of those games to me look like a, a pushover, but they're all winnable. Dallas, meanwhile, has New Orleans, so that's a, almost an automatic loss the way they're playing. Philly and Indy, who are two very tough teams. Tampa Bay, who's not hot right now, and the Giants. But that's that's a tough run in. And Philly is a game back, and they have to play us twice, uh, Dallas, the Rams, and Houston. So, you know, the Rams are almost a certain loss. So both Dallas and Philly, in my eyes, have a have a certain loss. In my eyes, they're already a game behind us. In, our, in my eyes, we have the outright division lead right now. We just got to take care of business in our divisional games. If we beat Philly, we play them twice, then then in my eyes, we're in. Um but anyway, let's so let's get into the actual meat of the performance of the game. Let's start with Colt McCoy. All eyes were on him. He had a great performance the first time he played Dallas. I think people were expecting a little too much from him. Yeah, I mean, you think back to when was that? 2014. I think so. A while ago, when he when he started on that primetime game, um, the Redskins season was already over at that point. We were out of right. it. Um, it was more nostalgic than anything else. Mm-hmm. Texas boy coming back to Texas, Dallas, playing in Jerry Worlds, um, having a resurgent starting game, leading the Redskins to victory. And that was really the the lasting memory for Redskins fans of Colt McCoy starting. It's the last time we saw him, really. Absolutely. I mean, ever since then, it's all been it's been the Kirk show. Mm-hmm. Um, and he played well in uh, in Week Twelve to when when Alex Smith went out against Houston. You know, he almost led that comeback there. Yeah. So people were real optimistic. He finished with two sixty eight yards, two touchdowns, and three picks. And you build up all the hyperbole around it. He's been in the system for four years right. now. No one knows it better than than Colt. He's a true professional. We paid him like the highest paid backup in the NFL. Well, that's probably true. The, I mean, the coaching staff believes in him. Mm-hmm. All of that got built up going into this this game, but. You keep in mind he is a backup quarterback. We haven't he hasn't been a consistent starter in this league. And Dallas does have a good defense. For some reason nobody likes to talk about that. I mean, I understand why Redskins fans don't want to talk about that, but I think they're they're a top ten unit in the league. I mean, Leighton Vander Esch is maybe one of the steals of the draft. They've got a very strong defensive line. I mean, they're as much as I hate to admit it, Dallas has a good defense. Teams don't put up a ton of points against Dallas. At least not many do. Yeah, I mean they have they have elite athletes and playmakers so. on the edge. Uh, on the second level, um, and their secondary solid as well. He threw three interceptions. One of them, we talked about this beforehand, was the Demarcus interception where he dodged the chop block. Amazing play. Scooped up the the little out route that that uh, Colt was throwing. I mean, that was just a great play. That reminded me of Ryan Kerrigan, honestly. Um, actually, Kerrigan doesn't do that as often. Who's that? Maybe like a Von Miller. Uh, that's a Khalil well, Mack. Khalil Mack is the comparison. There you go. There you there. go. It only took me a few. Uh, but it, that was a, a supremely athletic play. I don't put that on Colt's. 
And then the other one was the pass interference at the end of the game, which everyone's done to death. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it was a great throw, but he we should have gotten a pass interference call, certainly. And the last interception was, you know, was uh, the sideline one on the left. He threw a jump ball to Trey Quinn and, and just underthrew it. But in my eyes, he really threw maybe one and a half legitimate interceptions. I don't think he had a terrible day. Yeah, so, I mean, it kind of shows you the difference between Alex Smith and Colt McCoy here. Um Colt's going to take his shots. We knew that was going to happen. He's going to take his shots. Yep. Um, he's going to push the ball down the field. He's going to put his receivers in 50-50 ball situations, and he's going to throw interceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be a welcome sign in some situations when you got to take the good with the bad, right? I, I don't think Alex Smith hits Vernon Davis on that touchdown pass, you know, whereas, whereas Colt did. Um, like, yeah, he's a gunslinger. We're going to have more turnovers, but we're also probably going to have more yards through the air. And he's doing this with really no, or at least a much diminished uh, a slew of offensive weapons. Uh, we still don't have Crowder, still don't have Thompson. Um, those guys are the heartbeat of the offense. Jordan Reed's the heartbeat of the offense. He Mon- is now. Uh, Colt definitely likes him more than Alex did. Definitely. I mean, there's no, he was completely underutilized mm-hmm. while Alex Smith was at the, at the helm earlier this year. Absolutely. Um, just ever since he took over at halftime. Uh, in the third quarter last week, or the other week, um, clear number one go-to read is Jordan Reed. Yep. Um, as he should be. That's why I'm very happy with that. I've been dying to see that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, you go back to how, how we were successful in the beginning of the year, and you look at the box score from the, the losing streak that we're on now, it shows up in, in rushing yards. 100%. And, and it, it's de-emphasized in that we're not – rushing we're not giving peterson the ball and when we are the offensive line is decimated right so he's not getting the holes that that he had had earlier in the season where he can really get to that second level and do those fancy jump cuts cooper and bergstrom have impressed me a lot i was mortified when when laval and scherf went down um Cooper's been solid. You know, I'm not saying he's going to go to the Pro Bowl this year, but he's been he's been fine. I've had no problems with him at left guard. He looks for work. He's constantly looking to hit a guy. Um, you know, not too many penalties. And Bergstrom, to his credit, has been okay. Both those guys are, are slow. We can't run as many of those toss plays and screen passes that Jay loves because they just can't get out there. But they've been, they've been passable. I've been okay with it. Yeah, I mean, Cooper has first-round talent and athleticism and, and size mm-hmm. uh, burstrom's a little undersized he doesn't have he's the opposite he yeah, has he doesn't fit that mold. six round size and speed yeah exactly well if that um he doesn't fit the scheme where we're looking to be a power run blocking team right he, he can get overpowered at times on the inside and he's really the the weak link of the of the unit um so i would like to see us emphasize the run early and often this upcoming week in Philadelphia um, and kind of manage the clock, right? Um, get That's back to uh, the formula that had worked earlier in the season. That's when we win. Um, before we get into the Philly, uh, we got uh, Philly breakdown. We got a couple more things. Let's talk about the defensive side of the ball and then Wolf. the refs. Uh, the defensive side, look, last time we bottled up Zeke, that was one of the big reasons we won. This time he had 4.7 yards per carry. Dak had no turnovers. We got to him a couple times. He just slipped out of there. And Amari Cooper had 180 yards. Um, is our defense overrated? Because we were really, really hyping up this defense about three weeks ago. And they haven't had a really strong collective performance since then. Are yeah. they overrated? I mean, I don't think they're overrated anymore. I think they're fairly <laughs> right. rated now. Right. We got hot for like a three-week stretch um, where at that time we were probably overrated. Um, but... The unit just hasn't been consistent enough um, to be rated that highly. Um, we haven't gotten the interior pass rush that we had gotten earlier in the season where we were able to disrupt the pocket, get pressure, get sacks. Um, over the last couple of weeks, it's really been dependent on turnovers. Mm-hmm. And turnovers... Yeah, given the very yards to the Bucks. I yeah. mean, the Bucks do have the number one offense in the league, but you can't give up that much no, yardage to anybody. No, I mean, usually that's a better indicator of an overall defense, mm-hmm. uh, the yardage totals. Mm-hmm. Um, and turnovers, there's a component of luck there. There is. There is, absolutely. Um, but I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Um, I think that's, the pendulum has swung the other way, and now they're underrated. Um, you know, the biggest problem for me was that Zeke was getting four or five yards per carry, but 
their touchdowns were almost all haha Clinton Dix's fault. Almost all of them. I'm not saying other guys played well. Zeke's touchdown run, two guys rushed in the same gap. I think it was Preston Smith and, and whoever was the outside linebacker behind or I guess whoever was the other rusher behind him. And haha Clinton Dix was supposed to be kind of the safety valve there and was nowhere to be seen. Um, on that 40-yard touchdown, uh, he this that was one where he was literally running to the sideline on his zone when there was no one over there. And uh, Cooper broke a tackle and took it to the house. But he's supposed to be the safety valve there and was... He was literally running to cover an empty patch of space. The receiver, there's another receiver on the outside who had run a comeback route. His route was finished. He was not breaking, you know, for the for the uh, flag, and he was nowhere to be found. And then on the 90 yard touchdown to Cooper, Moreau had that missed tackle. Moreau also had a very bad game. But Clinton Dix is right there, and again does absolutely nothing. He had the worst game I've ever seen a safety play in my entire life. Oh, I don't know about that. He's not that bad of a safety. I, I think he's you know he's not a willing tackler. We knew that coming in, um, but he had a terrible game, and I don't see that happening again. Um, and if it does happen again, then I think we put into Shazer Everett or, or Monte Nicholson. Um, I, I just don't see that happening again. And there were so many things that were, that looked to me like flukes, uh, Josh Norman giving up all those third down catches to Cooper. Norman is a better corner than Cooper is a receiver to me. That's, I don't know what was in his head today, but these to me seemed like one-offs the defensive line was still better, better. Tim settle was great. Preston Smith has three and a half sacks in his last three games. Allen and Payne each got a sack. I, I was looking for them to dominate a little more against the banged up Dallas defensive line or offensive line. But I, I think so that the fact that all these things happened and we were still in it, uh, I think the defense is still really, really solid. I still love this unit. Yeah. You remember when Brandon Merriweather was our starting safety? Well, he was fine. He just got 15 yard penalties. He's fine. <laughs> every other play. He was in position. At least he didn't let, he didn't let anyone run right by him. It, it's three tough. plays in a it's row. It's tough. As a safety, one-on-one in the open field. Uh, more often than not, you're not going to make that tackle. Which one? When you're out on an angle. Which one? I mean, to me, I point the blame more so. All on, three of those plays, he wasn't in the same zip code, and he was supposed to be the guy. That I, can't I, happen. I put the blame. Well, you, you don't know what the coverage was. It, was, it might have been a two-man, uh, two-over man coverage. He was not supposed to be. He was not in quarters. I don't know what he was sprinting to the sideline for. It was a cover two, and he was... He, he was going out to get a hot dog. Yeah, I mean, you look at the, the DBs. You look at Dunbar and Moreau. That's where I point the blame. They, well, that's Dunbar the is thing. not healthy. 100% he was not yeah. healthy. That's the other big factor as well. I mean, if I think if Stroman or Danny Johnson or someone someone healthy is in there, some of those big plays don't happen too. And, and Moreau, more so than Norman, in my opinion, Moreau got torched. He did. Absolutely he's, torched. He's still learning. This is kind of his de facto rookie year. Um, I still like him as a project. He, he had a bad game as well. This, there was too many guys that were not focused, and that is a problem. I agree with that. But if these guys can focus and get back on the same page, um, I, I think this is still a unit that can dominate. Yeah, I mean, too inconsistent for me. That's fair. That's Far too fair, inconsistent That's a fair criticism. I can get behind that. Yeah. Um, Tress Way continue to drop dimes it wouldn't be a braves on the warpath podcast yeah so gush over. and you know i've been gushing on tress away since before this year i've been on the tress bandwagon for a long time so one thing i want to know so you got a brandon scherf jersey this offseason you got a, a right Dude. guard jersey are you gonna complement that with a punter's jersey uh i mean tress is probably on my top five that i would want this year uh, he, he's on the list for sure. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see you going to a Skins game and seeing a guy with a Tressway jersey yeah. and just wanting to go over there and dap him up. Yeah. <laughs> I would dap up a guy wearing a Tressway jersey. Of course I would. You I wouldn't? think I would make fun of a guy wearing a Punter's jersey. Well, you make fun of him and then you dap him up. You can do both. He shows an appreciation. Bill Belichick no would dap him up. He shows an appreciation for the finer points of the game. He's an all- I've never seen, we've never had a punter this good ever. I mean, maybe, I mean, Matt Turk was I a mean, stud. Tress- but Tressway isn't new to the, the skins. He's no been a good punter for he's been a good punter four or five years. He's been amazing. He's having an amazing year. He's putting the ball inside the five from our does, own forty does over pro and football over. Football focus rate punters. They do, and he's actually he's not in the top rankings. The Seattle he's supposed guy. to be an All Pro. The Seattle guy is everyone's gushing over him. Yeah, Dixon, I think. His name but is. they you try and use advanced metrics on punting. If the guy is putting the ball inside the ten ninety percent of the time from punting from his own forty and his own thirty. 
uh, I think he's pretty good. Um, any any other? Well, all right, one last thing before we move on. We got about two minutes left in this this breakdown of the Dallas matchup. Uh, the refs. Um, there was a lot of questionable calls, things that you know Redskins fans feel didn't go our way. Can we agree one to be mature about this and say that that's not why we lost the game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look back on any given week, and there's calls that are inconsistent for both teams. Correct. Um, Did we get the raw end of the deal in particularly critical situations the last two weeks? Yes. But have we also gotten the benefit of the doubt occasionally? I mean, just think back to the last Dallas game. Uh, that false snap. The <laughs> That was a false snap, and I stand by that until <laughs> the day I die. I, well, it doesn't matter. That that pinging of the football off the left upright or the, yeah, the left upright will forever ring in my ears. There were some bad ones. The Colt face mask that was missed. Yep. The Moreau holding that was a ghost holding. Uh, the helmet to helmet hit on Reed, which That's Jordan what, has every right to be upset yeah. about. The point after touchdown, they said after the break that it should have counted, but you can't review it because it's over the upright. Uh, the no pass interference on Doxson, and and that's not even talking about you know the the things that happened against us at Houston. But there's no conspiracy. The refs aren't out to get us. There's no hometown cooking. The refs aren't from Dallas. They bring them in from everywhere. It's just bad luck. And there's no conspiracy to keep the NFC East competitive or the Cowboys in it or any of that crap. If there was, if that was the agenda, then the Cowboys would have made the playoffs more than what twice in the last 17 years or whatever that garbage organization has done. Um, there's no conspiracy. It's bad luck. We're due. Looking at it that way, right? Yeah. I mean, the one that I think is completely egregious is the the Reed helmet to helmet because I mean, that's been such a point of emphasis for the NFL and you have a guy who has a history of concussions yes you can see he was visibly upset throwing his helmet as he got to the sideline wanting to go out and essentially get in the ref's face yeah um, I was afraid he was gonna get another penalty or get ejected there and the game wasn't necessarily over at that point well I could see Jordan Reed being in a Billy Bob type situation from Varsity Blues and you know the doctor saying look man if you get hit one more time in the wrong spot in your head that's it for you. You got to retire. And meanwhile, this guy's targeting him and he sees flags being thrown left and right on, on anyone that looks at someone funny. And then he doesn't get that call. Uh, he's got every right to be mad. Yeah. I was upset because it would have put us in great scoring position, but at a first down, uh, at a first down. Um, but look, man, it happens. We'll get him next week. Don't worry about it. Let it go. It's, it's been how many days since Thanksgiving now? It's almost been a week. Let it go. Yeah. Everyone, let it go. I'm over it. All right, question time. Uh, my questions aren't as silly this week, so they're actually like serious Redskins questions. So maybe you will enjoy them more. Maybe the listeners will enjoy them more. Let them let us know. Listeners, I'm telling you, this man needs help. Thinking uh, of some I do. Please there. send them in. Um, but uh, they're all Redskins related. It's more serious stuff this week. Uh, it's the anniversary of Sean Taylor's death. What's your favorite moment from number twenty-one? Pro Bowl. The hit, the hit on uh, was it Morstead? Mormon on the fake Mormon, punt. Yeah. That's an iconic play. That is the the most legendary play in Pro Bowl history. Yep, yep. If you Without make a doubt. any sort of YouTube NFL biggest hits highlight clip, it's in there. I mean, you think about Pro Bowl jerseys, and you think of the Sean Taylor Pro Bowl jersey because it's associated with that iconic play. I, I probably see more Sean Taylor. I, I might see more Sean Taylor Pro Bowl jerseys than Redskins jerseys. Yeah, I mean, but that blue one is who everywhere. Else Pro Bowl jerseys do you see? You don't see anybody else's Pro Bowl jerseys. Not from the Redskins, no. No. Um, to me, that's an iconic play. Um, numerous plays of him just taking people's heads off. To I me, mean, it was him blowing up Jason Witten uh, on the Monday Night Miracle. We almost lost the Monday Night Miracle. The two bombs to Santana Moss. Dallas was driving with plenty of time left on the clock. And they had fourth down, and they ran the play that they ran a zillion times in Jason Witten's career on fourth and eight. And he ran that little eight, nine yard, sit in the zone, comeback route. And he was right in his hands, and Sean Taylor destroyed him to dislodge the ball and win the game. We, we would not have had the Monday Night Miracle if not for Sean Taylor. Because if he catches that ball, they're in field goal range. They come down, and it's all for nothing, and it's just another Redskins win. I'll, I'll always love him for that. But RIP Sean Taylor. Probably the most adored Redskin since Daryl Green. Absolutely. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. Mike Jones, uh, a great reporter. He's with the USA Today. He covered the Redskins for a very long time. Uh, great guy. Um, I've never met him personally, but I've interacted with him on Twitter and, and things like that. And he just he's he's a very honest reporter. He did an Ask Me Anything on Reddit, uh, where you can ask him anything. 
Um, and I thought it was pretty informative. He had some interesting things. Uh, he mentioned that Gruden was fine rolling with Colt this year um, after the Cousins trade, but Bruce Allen is the one that really wanted Alex Smith. Um, and, you know, Gruden was fine with Alex Smith, I, I think he... But it, it was interesting to me that Gruden didn't target Alex. Gruden was, was okay with rolling with Colt. Does that give you any more confidence for for how Colt's going to perform coming down the stretch? No, no, not really. I mean, we know Gruden's always been a fan of, of Colt McCoy. Um, I'm optimistic that he can operate up to the level that Alex Smith did mm-hmm. um, when we're able to have that success early in the year. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, based off how our team is structured, right? You run the ball, you play good defense, you don't turn the ball over. I mean, that's how we're going to win games. Um, you kind of alluded to the fact that we don't have any playmakers on offense. I mean, at this point, it's crew, I don't really consider Adrian Peterson a playmaker. No, that's fair. Um, and then you look at our receivers, and I wouldn't classify any of them as, as playmakers. So, I mean, you have to have a good game plan. You have to be able to stick to that game plan. Um, and old-school football pound the rock, minimize the passing game as much as possible, complete the short to intermediate passes and pick up those third down, third and shorts, um, and play good defense and get turnovers, win that turnover differential. I agree. I think we're going to open it up a little more. It'll be a little more exciting. Uh, we'll have some more turnovers, but more points as well with Colts. Um, we'll see. Uh, the other interesting thing that he said that I, that I saw was that he said that the Scott McLuhan – Redskins relationship was doomed from the start. Um, he said his drinking did trickle over into the job a little bit per some reports, which was interesting. So that, cause that's kind of what the Redskins leaned on for, for terminating his contract. Um, but he said that it was probably overblown and maybe used as a little bit of a scapegoat. Um, but that also power struggles were a part of the decision and, and he didn't receive enough support from the coaching staff. Um, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, when whenever two sides have a public disagreement, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Um, it, but uh, does that change your view on Bruce Allen or the front office or, or Scott or any of that? No, I mean we knew coming in, Scott McLuhan was an alcoholic who mm-hmm. still drank. Mm-hmm. Anytime you hear that, I mean that's a red flag, right? Um, but I mean that aside. He was a successful GM in this league, helping build He's a great football mind. Seahawks and no doubt 49ers. It. Um, so he, he came in with that instant credibility and ego. Um, the way the Reds can structure is, I mean, you have Snyder, who has an ego of his own, has been known to dabble in personnel issues. And then you have Bruce Allen, mm-hmm. an additional layer. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in a lot of organizations, you really have a GM, a player personnel guy who really has full autonomy mm-hmm. or just the way our management structure is that's not how that role operates yeah um, too many cooks in the kitchen so so right there i mean it was a, a structure issue and it might have been an expectations um discrepancy in terms of his perception versus bruce allen's perception and i think that's what everyone thought yeah. it was um so probably no new information just interesting that that's that was the first kind of source that i heard a reliable source that that, that, that affirm that. Scott would be fun to have on the podcast, man. I, I drink on this podcast every week and you nurse your beer for 60 minutes. You're drinking two today. Oh, That's, you're talking to me? I thought you were talking to Scott. I'm talking, no, Scott would be fun. Scott would be on his six by now. You're you're on one. We're on minute 39 and you, how much? Shake that yingling for me. I mean, it's you're also what, a, yingling. a third of the way through your glass of red wine. I am drinking wine because my girlfriend didn't finish the bottle this week. So I'm not letting alcohol go to waste. Baby. Callie and I never open a bottle without finishing it that well, night. Well, you probably because you are used to drinking yinglings uh all right next Sick question back bro <laughs> uh what results would get jay fired this year if any if we how what's our record have to be or do we have to make the playoffs to get fired mm-hmm. man to even start having that conversation i think we need to finish six and ten so you think we'd have to lose out i think we have to go on a seven game losing streak to end the season for that to even be discussed really yeah i mean anytime you lose your starting quarterback i mean that's where the blame is gonna go but the injury uh excuse not that it hasn't happened but that's been that's been the excuse for the last few years and you know if i'm an owner especially one with the reputation of temperament of snyder 
how many times is that going to go over? Yeah, I don't see this year. I mean, we just signed into a contract extension, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of money mm-hmm. in play there. Until it's a Marty Schottenheimer. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a different era. Different mm-hmm. era. Completely different era. Like I said, he's evolved a little bit as an owner. Not much, but a little bit. And I mean, slowly but surely, he's gaining back some reputation. And the Redskins aren't viewed as this dead-end job. Where yep. potentially maybe we could attract a quality head coaching candidate. I don't think this is the year where Jay's job security comes into question. I think if we were to struggle next year, and I'm assuming we don't make the playoffs this year and we're to struggle next year, mm-hmm. um, that's when it would come into play. But now, I, I mean, I don't, I don't see, I don't see it. You touched on something really interesting there, in that. Um, I think we have pulled ourselves as an organization out of the doldrums of uh, there's of that blacklist. Like I'm not going to the Browns, the whoever Raiders. Uh, well, but that's maybe a new thing. But we, I think, we're on that short list for a lot of people in the league as to the Redskins. I'm not touching with a ten foot pole. Realistically, that was us for a long time. I think that's some people were surprised at some of the coaching hires and the personnel decisions we made. I think there was a reason for that. We couldn't get some of the big names. Yeah, I mean, even look at the coordinators. We've mm-hmm. had coordinator mm-hmm. turnover even throughout Jay's tenure. Mm-hmm. And now we're in, what, year three mm-hmm. of having Callahan, of having... Tom Sula. Tom Sula. I'm blanking on our D coordinator. Why can't I think of our D coordinator? I, I want to say Kavanaugh. It's, uh, no, that's the quarterback. Minuski. Minuski. Now we've had some continuity there. Mm-hmm. And then Jay is in what, year five or six? Well, he also has the most impressive uh, developed protege in the league right now over in L.A. Um, the, the, we, we have a few feathers in our cap from that perspective. You know, we, we still make the occasional PR blunder. Um, at the Kirk situation, I think everyone will agree, was handled poorly by all. But, um, yeah, we're, we're slowly gaining some respectability there. There is a long-term, broad movement. you got to zoom way out to see it. Yeah. But do remember what this was like in the Jim Zorn days, man. There were some, and even, I mean, you go back to North Turner, man. Uh, we had some winning seasons under, I think, Schottenheimer brought us to 8-8. Eight and eight. There was a couple okay you know, seasons sprinkled in there. But we were, uh, it was not fun to be a Redskins fan for a very, very long time. It's okay now. It's, it's not great. But it's okay. Yeah, there's there's optimism and a slimmer of hope, mm-hmm. realistic hope. Uh, I wanted to make this a bigger question, but we're running out of time. Give me, so I'm gonna pare it down. What's your biggest draft need? Wide receiver. Think so? Playmaker. Absolutely. I mean, Josh Dotson hasn't been that guy. Um, we need blue chip talent on the outside have to uh especially if you're gonna roll with colt mccoy quarterback and uh, who, who i don't think anyone's figured out what our quarterback situation is going to be next year but one thing is clear that we need more talent on the offensive side of the i ball. mean you've got alex smith and why he succeeded in kansas city obviously andy reed's a great offensive mastermind but he had tyreek hill on the outside and travis kelsey um who's a super version of jordan reed who actually stays healthy <laughs> fair enough uh i agree with you um I'd like to see some O-line depth later in the draft because I'm sick of seeing these backups rolling in. But uh, I think wide receiver is our biggest Yeah, need. I mean, I think we, we touched on that this year, drafting Christian in the third round. I mean, I would like to see another third, fourth round offensive lineman. Um, there is some question on whether Alex Smith is going to be able to recover and, and make it back. Um, some articles floated this week in ESPN um, stating that that wasn't a foregone conclusion. Um, so, I mean, if for whatever reason Alex Smith isn't able to come back, I mean, then you got to look quarterback. I'm going to do a quick plug for our pod next week. Um, I'm going to have my buddy, uh, Dr. Stuart Wright, who's a uh, very, very smart guy, a good friend of mine, uh, who's a doctor, has his own practice down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and we're going to be talking about the Alex Smith injury, um, what he sees as far as structural damage. And, and, you know, obviously he hasn't worked on Alex. This is just from what he's read and, and what he saw, but... Um, I, I think it gives a little bit uh, more interesting and a little more detailed insight than what most people have seen online. Um, so quick plug to check us out next week. All right, let's move on to the Eagles preview. They are five and six, one game back in the NFC East. Um, a real, they've, the, they've fallen hard from their Super Bowl win last year. They've, they've really regressed. Uh, the offense has struggled a lot. The defense is... Uh, 
has been decimated by injuries, especially in the secondary. Um, their their line has got Jason Peters and Lane Johnson, who are two bookends on on either tackle, but they've given up I think like seven or eight sacks between the two of them. They're not the same last year. Jason Kelsey's banged up. Um, they've got an anonymous right guard and left guard. They brought in Golden Tate to complement uh, Aguilar and Jeffrey and and Zach Ertz and. All of those guys have dropped off significantly, and even Carson Wentz looks real pedestrian, and their running back situation has been a turnstile. They played Josh Adams, the rookie out of Notre Dame last year, who had a good game against the Giants, but um, really poor, and their secondary has got Malcolm Jenkins and a bunch of no-names. Um, what's your what's your take on, on the Eagles matchup? It's in prime time. We don't play very well in prime time, but how do you see this going? Yeah, I mean, back to your point on the, on the offensive line, Jason Peters is washed. He's done. He's past his prime he's he far is, too old he is that old like discovery channel yeah uh, big no. uh, animal on the plains who's got to give up his top spot to the young gun um he, they need to put him out to pasture yeah he's done. i mean he doesn't have the the bends to keep the edge anymore that's gonna be a matchup i'm gonna be looking for preston smith who's Absolutely. three and a half sacks in his last three games he's really come on he hits his stride at this point in the season he's real athletic when guys start to get banged and bruised up he uses that his athleticism to overwhelm and he could certainly yeah do that i mean against old man peters you uh you had a question here in the running order regarding whether or not preston smith is expendable i skipped it because uh we didn't have enough time yeah, yeah and i don't see ryan anderson as a uh, a replacement for Preston Smith. I mean, I think they do Preston, very different things. Very different. I think Preston Smith is more of a pure pass rusher. Yes. Um, where I almost view Ryan Anderson almost as like a middle linebacker because he's really kind of a Swiss Army knife mm-hmm. in that he kind of plays all over the field. Mm-hmm. Um, great special teams player. Great fullback. Great fullback. He's our starting fullback. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Sets um, the edge well. Very smart, but he's his pass rush. Uh, capabilities have, have always been certain detractors main critique of him. Yeah, I mean, Preston Smith flashes. He may not be consistent, but he flashes. Very he makes so. those plays that not everyone can make. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm watching that mashup um, when we're on defense. And then when we're on, on offense, like you mentioned, their secondary is decimated. Um, Odell Beckham called out the Giants' game plan and that it wasn't their game plan to throw the ball and attack that weakness. Called it out after the fact. He said we should have attacked them more. Yeah, I mean, I, and I want to say the Giants did do have a pretty good game throwing the ball through the air. I mean, Saquon Barkley also had like, I mean, 180 yards from scrimmage or something crazy. So uh, they, they were moving the ball just yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, just fine. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see that because, I mean, obviously that's not one of our strengths. Um what I've been harping on this entire podcast is that when you get back to our formula and running the ball, but here they are, the, the Eagles' obvious weakness is their secondary. And they still have Michael Bennett, uh, Timmy Jernigan, Fletcher Cox, and Brandon Graham up there as that front four. Um, they they do play that wide nine where the ends, Graham and Bennett, line up super, like outside the tackle, sometimes even outside of the tight ends. The whole goal for the defensive lineman is to get upfield, to get in the backfield, and then they rely on their linebackers to fill the space. It's And then they, they go man coverage a lot. They mix in some zone. Um, they've been mixing it in more the more injuries they get to kind of cover yeah. for. But it, it puts a lot of pressure then on the, the back half of the defense. And with those injuries, it's been just tough for those yeah, guys. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. So they're mixing in a lot more zone because they do have those fifth, sixth stream players in the secondary. Mm-hmm. How do you exploit a zone? We know in a zone, the secondary watches the quarterback and they fall back into their zone coverage areas. Mm-hmm. How do you exploit that? Play action. Yep. So you mentioned the, the eagle strength is a defensive front. Although we may not have success with it, I want us to pound the rock early, mm-hmm. set the tone, put that in the back of everyone's mind, and then exploit it later on with the play action. I, totally I think that's agree. a way to create separation for our receivers who quite frankly, can't create much separation. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. Um, but there are still still some playmakers there. Uh, Hicks, their middle linebacker, might not be able to go. He's, he's kind of the heartbeat back there. They rely on him a lot. Um, just so many injuries. And, and Malcolm Jenkins is an incredible playmaker. You do have to watch out for him at safety. But their corners are really what you have to go after. But their biggest weakness is our biggest weakness. It's going to be who's, who's less bad in that spot. But, I mean, if Colts is going to have some success. If we can protect him, this is a secondary that's very exploitable. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried about Carson Wentz. Uh, 
He played badly for a large portion of the Giants game. He came on a little bit better in the second half, but he did struggle against a below-average Giants defense. I'm scarred from that Monday night game last year where we just couldn't sack him. Uh, and he was wiggling out and of the pocket and just destroying us. We struggle plays. mightily with those big, like kind of semi-mobile quarterbacks, which is a, kind of exactly what Wentz is. I mean, we Dak had a rushing touchdown last week where we just couldn't bring him down. And he's not even that big. He's just kind of slippery. Um, yeah, Wentz is still dangerous. This is still a very dangerous team. There still are a lot of weapons. Um, you know, would anyone be surprised if Golden Tate, who's been asleep for the last two or three weeks since he's been on the Eagles, did an Amari Cooper and put up a bunch of yards against us? Uh, no. I mean, that, that's they still are a dangerous offense. Yeah, and you haven't even mentioned their their best playmaker this year, Zach Ertz. Yeah, yeah. Zach Ertz absolutely. is having a fantastic season and he's actually taking a step back and is still having a fantastic season i want to say he has 90 catches already for the season he had a big game last week against the giants i saw an interesting stat in that carson wentz has i don't think he's completed a single pass or like one or two passes over 20 yards outside the hash marks so he's not hitting jeffrey on those dig routes um he's not hitting uh, anyone else really other than Z- he's hitting Zach Ertz on the seam routes. That's where they're getting their big plays from and the occasional run. But that's what Zach Ertz loves to do, run those seam routes, get right up the middle. Uh, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Clinton Dix and DJ Swearinger and occasionally Zach Brown to run with him. And, and look, he's going to make plays. Zach Ertz is one of the, probably the best three tight ends in the league, um, but you got to contain him. That That's the main weapon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Take th- him away. That's the, the, the strength of their offense. That's, Similar to our offense, Jordan Reed. It, it goes through him. He's the primary option. Absolutely. And Wentz is still recovering from that knee injury. Um, he's still not totally there. But, you know, they run that run-pass option, which you, you can't turn on the TV now without hearing about. But they, they still run that. It opens up those slant routes. Aguilar's the deep threat. Jeffrey runs the digs. Golden Tate's a possession guy. They really haven't figured out how to use him yet. But, you know, he's, he's still new to the offense, so give him time. Um, they just haven't figured out how to find that big play. They turn the ball over a lot. Um, the key is the key that it's it always is on defense. Get to the quarterback, force him to make mistakes, and shut down the run. Um, and you know, with with our guys, Ioannidis is a little iffy. He's got some calf issues, but for the most part, our starting front seven should be there. Uh, there's no reason we can't exploit those guys. Preston Smith and Kerrigan have to take care of Lane Johnson and Jason Peters. That's a huge matchup for us, which you touched on earlier. Yeah, and you mentioned Tim, Timmy Settle stepping up too. So I'm not that worried about Ioannidis if, if Timmy Settle can step up and, and play up to his potential as a potential second-round pick coming into this draft and fell all the way to us in the, the fifth round. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to give – look, you're still on one beer, beer number one. Like we're at minute 50. I bet I'll finish this beer before you finish that one. Minute 55. Well, I had beers before you – first of all, I finished the beer already, and I had beers before you came here, which I know you didn't. I got nothing. I know you don't. What else is now? Anything else on the Eagles matchup? I really don't have much after this. Must win, man. It's a must win. So, I mean... Who are the division frontrunners? Are we the division frontrunners still? Yes, right now. Yes, right now. Um, but like I said, it's so close. Anybody can win. Um, I think it's anybody's game. It's going to come out to... I mean, this this is a critical game. I mean, we all know coming into the season, the Eagles had the most talent, um, were the clear favorites, defending Super Bowl champions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't want to awake a sleeping giant, right? They've won a couple games here. Um, if the Giants, or excuse me, if the, the Cowboys were to lose, like we all expect them to do Thursday, and then they beat us, they're right back in it. Mm-hmm. And I think they'd become the favorites. Mm-hmm. With that said, if we win, we're in first place. Mm-hmm. By two games. And there's over Philly and, and only the, one and over the, Dallas, but the the season's getting a little long in the tooth here. There's only four games left, mm-hmm. um, and then you can kind of put the nail in the coffin with the Eagles there and put them to rest. Absolutely. Um, so I mean, this is going to be a critical, critical, critical game. And I think it's going to determine the NFC East champion because I, I don't see Dallas making a run. I see it coming down to the the Skins or Eagles. I mean, in this game right here, I think whoever wins this game. 75% chance of winning the division. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I'm surprisingly confident, like I told you. It's the fact that we should have won last week while playing as badly as we did. And, and Dallas outplayed Philly uh, in their last matchup, 100%. Um, I think we're the best team in the East. And 
you know, we always see if the Redskins, if we get too confident and we start feeling ourselves a little too much, that's when we get into trouble. It's when we're pissed off and we have something to prove that we just hammer teams. And we're if we're not pissed off now, then we're never going to be because the momentum is all against us. Um, no one thinks we're going to win. Whenever you see those those you know ESPN predictions and they pick all the teams for the week and you don't see any Redskins logos on that chart, I know it's going to be a good week because those idiots don't know what... The, we play against the momentum. Whichever way the tide is shifting, we're always going the other direction. And right now, everything's working against us and I'm just all the more confident. And... Second of all, we're just the fucking Redskins, baby. We're gonna we're gonna win. It's the Eagles. These Let's guys these guys have been relevant for less than three hundred and sixty five days. This has been the biggest joke of a franchise. They have that stupid ass fight song. None of their fans know anything about football. They're all learning the players now. Name an Eagle before two thousand thirteen, other than Brian Dawkins. Randall He's Cunningham. The most well, okay, Randall was okay. But Reggie White. I think of him more as a Packer than anything. Spend the majority of his career with the Eagles. But I, but I still think maybe it's because of my age. Uh, but let's—they're a joke of a franchise, right? Out of the four NFC East teams, they're the misfits. I don't bring the Cardinals back. I mean, they had never won a Super Bowl. They're the one NFC East team that yeah. had never won a Super Bowl, yeah. and then finally got the fucking monkey off their back yeah. last year. And then they're That's struggling fine. this year. And then they put up the caption of the Super Bowl trophy and parade last year. They're going right back to, yeah, where they, and after they won the Super Bowl, they destroyed their city like a bunch of animals. Yeah, and well, there's, now there's all this question about whether or not Peterson really is the mastermind that he was made out to be last year. I mean, you lose your of offensive coordinator, Frank Reich, who's having a ton of success and was completely rejuvenated Andrew Luck's career um, out in Indianapolis. And, and you kind of have some question marks, right? And then, as you mentioned, Carson Wentz um, hasn't regained that Super Bowl level play that he had exhibited earlier last year. But still, they're a joke of a franchise. Look, this is not this is not a powerhouse. I've never been scared of the Eagles. I never will be scared of the Eagles. We we play them twice. To me, that's a great thing, I, especially this year when they're tripping all over their goddamn selves, pulling people out of the crowd to play cornerback. These guys are not good. Everyone they have this aura of Super Bowl champ, which we put on everyone every single year. They're not a good football team. Look at them on paper. They've gotten outplayed by almost everyone they've played this year. We get to play them twice, and we get to play Jacksonville, who I don't even know who they're putting at quarterback now. Cody Kessler. Cody Kessler? Are we scared of a Cody Kessler team? Nah. And then Tennessee, who just got waxed by a Houston team that we outplayed and should have beaten. Mariota's right down there with Jameis, man. They're both really done. struggling. They're both done. Really struggling. This is a weak schedule. To me, look, I put a couple hundred bucks on the Redskins to get to the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year. I don't, I'm not going to talk about whether I think that's still going to happen. But I got 40 to 1 odds. The odds are about the same now. I'm about to load up again, man. Yeah, man. Hey, I got 5 to 1 odds from my buddy that the Skins wouldn't win 10 games. Find a dumb friend like that and go put some money on it, man. 5 to 1? That was the Philly beginning twice, of the Tennessee, the Giants, and Jacksonville. I'm not scared of any of those teams. Pay so, me. look, man, if you're a Redskins fan, please go, and go to some games. Now it's time to buy tickets, too, because right now sentiment is low. Uh, tickets are dropping. Buy some tickets and let's go. Shout out. I went to the game, the Texans game. Holy shit. You went to a football game? You never go to live games. at that game, and let me tell you, I was in That's a, why we lost. I was in a suite. It was. Oh, so you only kind of went. You didn't really. Not, well, let me tell you, it was nice. Well, it's it's Snyder. As as much as Snyder pisses on all the peons outside, uh, sticks them behind poles and charges them thirty eight dollars for a beer. If you can cross over into that higher class and get yourself Woo! in a suite, I've been on a couple of myself. They're not bad. Yeah, <laughs> they're not bad. That's the way. To I'm go. on a hot streak right now. Where I went to, got to experience the the FedEx Field Suite the other week. Going to a Caps game this Friday. Also live in that sweet life. Caps are very hot right now. Absolutely. But don't go to Capitals games. This isn't a Capitals podcast. I don't give a shit about the Wizards or Fuck the, Wizards. the Nationals. Yeah, joke. Well, I, actually, I care about the Nationals. I really like all those teams. But uh, right now it's Redskins time, baby. It's, it's crunch time. Five games left. If we Imagine we go four and five. Tons of empty seats. Yeah. Tons of empty yeah. seats. Yeah, yeah. Go out there. Go get tickets. Give it for the cheap. Yeah. They don't even have nosebleeds anymore because they removed all those seats. So go for the tailgating experience and, and go for, cheer on the Redskins get a victory. Early Christmas present. I mean, you know your dad wants one. Your brother. Hell, your mom probably wants one. I know she's got a Redskins sweater tucked away somewhere. 
Stephen Davis jersey. In You're the talking closet. to our listeners, right? Not not to me. No, not to you. I'm just looking deep into your eyes because I feel a connection between us right now. Uh, I feel nothing. What else? That's that's the story of my life, Jeremy. <laughs> More ways than you know. Uh, but go let's get some tickets and go to the game. Now's the time to go. It's a super fun time. And going, there's something special about going to a football game when it's blistering cold outside. Uh, to me, that gets me excited. Maybe I'm a weirdo, but um, I'm gonna try and make it to at least one of those myself. Yeah, man. I'll probably I'm probably going to week 17. Let's go together, man. Hush hush. That'll be. It won't be an exciting game because we'll have clinched the playoffs by then. We can just watch us beat up on Philly and and remember the last time we beat Philly, which will be next week. Anything else before we get out of here? Hell, man. Let's get this fucking win. Hail to the Redskins, baby. Uh, thank you for listening. Please subscribe on SoundCloud. Leave us a review on iTunes. Get us over the 100 listener mark. Can't believe we haven't cracked it. Uh, we'll be here every week. See you next week. And hail to the motherfucking Redskins. Hail. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Guitars that drive them old trucks. Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Cause they never stay home and they're always alone. Even with someone they